0: you're like me, this year it might be difficult to hang on to any sense of time at all. The classical radio station that I listen to has taken to having a big announcement every morning at 8 a.m. about what day of the week it is, and often I need the reminder. Easter seems like it was about 9,000 years ago, back when we were young and naive, But the fact remains that it is still the Easter season. Because the church celebrates Easter, remembers and celebrates the resurrection of Jesus in an intentional way for 50 days after Easter Sunday. And during this season, our Gospel readings tell us about what Jesus said about life after Easter. What Jesus said about what it would mean to follow him after he had left the earth and returned to God. Our gospel reading from John today is part of what is known as the farewell discourse. The disciples have shared the Last Supper, and this is the after-dinner conversation. Jesus has washed their feet and is trying to explain to them that he's going to die, and that even though he will be resurrected, he won't always physically be on earth with the disciples. They'll have to go on without him. And the disciples are asking him questions about how they will possibly be able to go on, how they'll know what to do when he's not there. And as he replies to them, I kind of picture him speaking over the heads of the disciples to us, to all of us, who are trying to follow a God that we can't physically see. We'll never get to watch him perform miracles. We'll never get to walk and talk with him on the roads of Galilee. We are not the ones who got to see the stone rolled away. And so he speaks to the disciples to reassure them. And he speaks over their heads to reassure us that we can indeed have an intimate relationship with a Jesus that we can't see. A Jesus that we didn't know in the flesh. Jesus says to the disciples, and he says to us, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, and because I live, you will also live. I will not leave you orphaned. That's a promise to hold on to when it feels like so many of the things we have depended on have fallen away. I will not leave you orphaned. But what exactly does Jesus mean? How does he intend to be present with the disciples even after his resurrected body has returned to God? How does he intend to be present with us? His answer is this, he says, I will ask the Father and God will give you another advocate to be with you forever. We'll be given another advocate. What on earth does that mean? The Greek word translated advocate is paraclete, which is the biblical term for the Holy Spirit. It was also the name for our truly, truly untalented intramural soccer team in seminary, the paracletes. Anyway, the word paraclete is translated in a range of ways. Comforter, counselor, helper, one who comes alongside But scholars say that the most accurate translation is advocate in the judicial sense. Advocate as the person charged with arguing your case in court. Now to make sense of this, I hope you'll tolerate a little digression on, and I promise this this will make sense at the end, the devil. When I say the word devil, most of us have a visual image that comes to mind, right? Right? Small, red, with horns, kind of pointy ears, pitchfork. And if you look carefully, though, at our scriptures of the Old and New Testament, you won't find that image anywhere. It comes from later popular mythology. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, the devil is called Satan, which is the Hebrew word for accuser. Satan, in the Old Testament, is the adversary of humanity. He's the enemy of life. God's purpose for humanity is peace and goodness and faithfulness. And Satan is the adversary, the accuser, who works always against that good purpose, trying to get humanity to deviate from what God wants, tempting Adam and Eve in the garden, inciting King David to disobey... And then when human beings succumb, Satan goes before God in the heavenly court to accuse human beings of disobedience. Satan accuses humanity and then tries to convince God that people are worthless, unfaithful, and not worth the trouble. God, of course, never gives in to these accusations. But in the Psalms, in the books of the prophets, in the book of Job, Human beings begin to pray to God for someone to stand up in the heavenly court and argue on their behalf. A defense lawyer to go head to head in court with Satan, the accuser, and defeat him forever. You can understand the impulse. Even if we know that God is loving and just and will never give up on us, even then when we're hurting, when we feel like underdogs, when we feel like we're being misunderstood, we want someone to stand up for us. We want someone to argue our case, to set things right, to fight for justice. And so the people of Israel begin to pray for that defense lawyer who will fight for them. And this figure that they're praying for, this person that they're praying for, comes to be called the Redeemer. This is who Job is talking about when he says... In the words made famous by Handel's Messiah, the words that begin the Episcopal burial service, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth, then in my flesh shall I I see God whom I shall see on my side. The Redeemer is the one who wins God over definitively to the side of humanity by arguing for the underdog for justice by arguing against the accuser. And so the people of Israel dream of a redeemer for someone who will stand on their side. And over time, in some communities, this hope for the redeemer merges with the hope for a Messiah, and the earliest Christians saw both of those hopes fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was the one who was on their side. He was the one who stood against the accuser and argued for the value, for the infinite worth of every human being. Think of him standing between the woman caught in adultery and the crowd holding stones to throw at her. He was the defense lawyer. Jesus was our advocate. And so I promised I would make it back at some point, and here we are. When Jesus promises he will give us another advocate, he is speaking into this long history of hope. The wish that human beings would have someone to be their defense lawyer, their advocate, the one that will argue for them when they make mistakes, when they fear that they are worthless, forgotten, or alone, the one who can quiet the accuser who lives within each one of us. I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus said. I will ask the Father and God will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of how Jesus will be with us even after he is physically gone. And this is Jesus' statement of who the Holy Spirit will be for us, an advocate, a comforter. In another place in John, Jesus responds to the disciples who fear that the Holy Spirit won't possibly be enough. That a vague sense of spiritual presence can't possibly be as powerful as the physical presence of Jesus. Jesus says no, emphatically. I can only be in one place at one time, he says, but the Holy Spirit is within you. It's among you, in the spaces between you. With the advocate, with the comforter, you will be capable of even more than you are in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. The Holy Spirit in you, working in you, is just as much the presence of God as the very physical presence of Jesus. That's quite a promise. That the Holy Spirit is with us as an advocate, that the Holy Spirit can defeat the accuser that lives within each one of us, and that the Holy Spirit's presence within us is as powerful and as real as Jesus' presence on earth. The Holy Spirit is not a paler, weaker version of God. No, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God among us and within us. Because we all have accusers, internal and external. Those voices that tell us we'll never be enough, that we failed, that we should just give up. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate, the one who stands up and argues on our behalf, who offers evidence that we are beloved that we are valuable, that we are treasured by God. And it's important to note that the Holy Spirit is not the private possession of any individual Christian. The Holy Spirit is not here just to quiet my voices of self-doubt. The Holy Spirit is also the force that binds us together as Christian community and dwells in us so powerfully as a body that we are able to be advocates as well. I invite you to consider this week and maybe talk with those who are watching this with you. What is the voice of the accuser saying in your life right now? What is that inner voice accusing you? And how can you let the advocate, the Holy Spirit, be your defender and speak words of truth into that situation? And who is the Holy Spirit, the advocate, calling us as a community to stand alongside. Who are we being called to advocate for? Whose voice is not being heard that we might be called to amplify? Who is being accused? Who is being treated as worthless? Who is left out and feeling alone? Because God has not left us orphaned even in this pandemic. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the real and powerful presence of God within us and among us. And we have also been given the mission of advocacy, the mission of standing alongside others who are in need of that same spirit of truth. Amen.